Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. $2.97 seasonal Belgian chocolate chip. (laughs) It's really good. We got an emailer who found an even better deal on ice cream. Was thrilled because he knew how excited you would be. It's not for like Turkey Hill, is it? No, I think it was Hagen does. It was something like 94 cents for a pint or something. 94 cents? Somebody had eaten some of it already. (laughs) You know, all right. Yeah, that's what I worried about last night when I opened it. I mean, it still had a, it had the cover and it had the the plastic on it. Yeah, I was going to have to have a little bit of freezer burn. Already been opened. No, 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 (laughs) no. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty. So we've got all these football games that went on. We had five football games. Four of the five home teams won, but they didn't all cover. In fact, Buffalo didn't cover. That's right. Cincinnati didn't cover. Minnesota clearly didn't cover. Um, San Francisco did cover. And the Chargers were the favorite. They were a road favorite. Obviously, they didn't cover. If you ask me my biggest surprise, which we will ask Will Bonnens for Luga later in the show, my biggest surprise was the Chargers dying, gasping, losing with a 27 nothing lead. Chargers going to charge her. You know, that's, they, Will Bond will use the phrase, took a nap, because he uses that all the time. <laughs> Will Bond has two teams he dismisses. One is the Chargers for taking naps all the time, and two is Cincinnati. He says you can never count on Cincinnati, though this year I believe he thinks Cincinnati will get to the Super Bowl. The other thing to say about the games was how, how good they were. How good and close they were. Yeah. There were solitary plays in a bunch of games, single plays, that turned the game. The first game with Seattle, there was a fumble by Geno Smith, and they're down in scoring position. That turned the game, right? The, the fumble recovery last night, 98-yard fumble recovery. Unbelievable. This is how often that happens. It doesn't happen. <laughs> I think Hubbard's still sucking down some oxygen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. And that turned the game. The fourth down play from Minnesota. Got fourth and eight. Why are you throwing throw the, the four-yard pass? It's the worst decision I possible. Just, how can you throw a four-yard pass to a person being defended on a fourth and eight? Oh. It's just so crazy. What are you doing? So so each one of those things, I don't know if there was a single play in Buffalo, but there probably was. Each and every one of those games was exciting in their own way and high scoring. Each one high scoring. Each one, both teams exceeded the amount of points they normally score in a game. So I, I don't know what else you can ask for in football. Didn't you feel that way, that it was great? Yeah, and, and Saturday and Sunday both had the, the correct pacing where you just saw it crescendoed into the night. Uh, if you, you yeah. stay up late both nights to watch those endings. I was, um, you know, because I watch the Red Zone, I don't really hear the announcers, who the national announcers. Right. I, I was stunned at how much Kevin Burkhardt on Fox sounds like Al Michaels. I actually thought it was Al. Because Al did a game the night before with Tony Dungy, which was a pretty good game. I yeah, thought it was Al as well. I thought it was Al. <laughs> it was it's like, unbelievable he's how, some tape. how much Kevin Burkhardt sounds like Al Michaels. And I thought, well, Al just did a game in Jacksonville. <laughs> Al, and, and Al does Amazon. How could he be doing these network games? Kevin Burkhardt's good. Yes. I'm, I was not really familiar with his work. Again, when you watch Red Zone, you get a bits and pieces of the announcers, but you don't they're not important to it. 
They're not important to it. The visuals are much more important than the audio parts of those games. And then they go right back to Scott Hansen. So, wow, I ought to, I ought to call Al today and say, do you know Kevin Burkhardt has stole your voice? <laughs> it's really remarkable. From Don Hammock in Biloxi, Mississippi, you rightly praise Alec Baldwin's blistering performance in Glengarry Glen Ross, but you erred by saying it came from the play. The character Baldwin plays has no lines in the play. Instead, that diatribe was written by David Mamet after the production company asked for something to be added to get the movie launched, helping to provide information for life. I am Don Hammock in Biloxi, Mississippi. I knew that. I thought I had said that, that, that Ham- Mamet created that character for the movie. I guess I didn't say it, but I, was, I have been aware of that yes. for a long time. We have so many emails on things that dogs eat and dogs singing. Oh, dog dog singing. singing. Yes, oh. we have so many. There's a treat. I'm not sure if you looked at the, the pile of papers I yes, gave you. Yes, apparently I am singing today. <laughs> yes, yes. From Nick Milkey in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Grandpa, since it appears that the new game is what is your Chuck and Roxy number? It's just <laughs> wonderful. I wanted to chime in to let you know that I was episode 161. It was lovely getting to talk with them about my personal littledom, and they even let me talk way too long about my own podcast. Speaking of podcasts, now seems a good time to ask if my show, Podcast of the Wills, can be the official Star Wars podcast of the Tony Kornheiser show. (laughs) Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. Also tell Nigel, we'd love to have him as a guest. And please also tell Josh Moon to eat it. what, What do you mean an official podcast of... Of the Wills? Of the no of of Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. What, that... Is this what he does, Nick? Is this what you do? <laughs> you do a podcast on Star Wars over and over and over. Well, you do a podcast on getting discontinued ice cream. Well, I don't do a whole <laughs> podcast on it. I don't know. You got well, a lot of run out of socks last week. When he says, "Yes, we did," uh, wonderfully. Um, I, I think when he says Star Wars, I think the entire Star Wars universe, not just that one movie. From so. Abdul Aziz. Hi, Uncle Tony. You always say, Abdul Aziz, by the way, this is not probably the same one, but Abdul Aziz was a, a basketball player for the Rockets for a long time. Oh, really? Maybe it's the same one. You always say your cardiologist doesn't want you to shovel snow, but isn't it in his interest that you shovel a little bit, get short of breath and go in for a quick angioplasty or something, you know, just a little workup? How else is he going to get some of that sweet Cigna money? That's pretty funny. From John Palmer in Minneapolis, you think Baylor University would ever consider changing their mascot to the Marmots? I guess I'd never, I don't know, they're marmots? Marmots, I yes. guess I'd, I'd never heard of them. Marmots. So I thought they were marmots, like more mots, like give me applesauce, like more mots. What do you think? I don't know. Here's another one that I like. Oh, oh also, Eric uh, Londergan, you know, the cartoonist? Oh, sure. Who lives in Boston? He says, to quote you on your most recent, sh- recent show, Top 10 is really good. The context, of course, was Mr. Tony Beeson, who sits in the number nine guest slot on the Loyal Littles podcast. Not to brag, but I was number four. Oof. I think this is a pretty good slot considering I'm not a jingler. I don't run a winery. I never got married at Chatter, and I'm not Claire Natola. My stock and trade among Loyal Littles is drawing cartoons, which is a pretty strange thing to be known for when talking about a podcast, a medium which isn't exactly known for its visual content. And they sent a cartoon to Tony Beeson. Um, and sent a copy of it to us and Tony Beeson sitting at a piano. It's oh, like Schroeder. Thing. Or is it Schroeder? Schroeder was the pianist, See? I believe. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's it's great. It's lovely. Yeah. It's Eric Lund. 
fantastic. I, I didn't know that they went in order. They don't go in order of import, do they? No, I just think it's the order. But if you were early, I think that's a huge status symbol. If you, I mean, you know, single digit. Yeah, that's like holding on to your uh, area code with an old phone number. <laughs> From Matt Malusin, Quakertown, Pennsylvania. Never up that 202. No. When I get my butcher box steaks, what setting should I use on my Revolution toaster? <laughs> that's funny. Medium, medium rare. Yeah. That's funny. Here's another one I liked. This is from Frank Kelly in Situate, Massachusetts. With one last, I hope I've got a million DA moment from the 70s. It's a Friday night, and I'm playing Junior B Town League hockey. Basically, it's for guys who love the game who aren't good enough for the high school team. Situate is playing Randolph. You know where these things are, right, Randolph? And they must have been having a school dance because they had several young kids, like 12 years old, (coughs) called up playing against us 15- and 16-year-olds. One kid on that team was head and shoulders above the rest. We have a power play, and being one of the only guys on my team with a decent slap shot, I'm playing the point when this young defenseman fires the puck to clear it right at my wire glasses-wearing face. (laughs) Remember, this is when helmets were just required. No shields or cage masks. What do I do, duck? Put my glove up in front of my face. Now I raise the shaft of my Bobby Orr model Victoryville wood hockey stick, which deflects the puck centimeters away from my eyes. It's been 50-plus years, and I remember that like yesterday. And who was that stud 12-year-old defenseman? Reginald's guest at last week's get-together at the National Zoo, Rod Langway. (laughs) How about that? Isn't that fantastic? Rod Langway. (laughs) And, And Frank Kelly writes, seriously, it was great to follow his career as one of the first great U.S. and Massachusetts players in the NHL. And that's, that's all true. Isn't yeah. that? His, his number hangs in the rafter, doesn't it? Yes, he's retired. Yes. The Caps well retired. And, and, and rightfully so. Absolutely. They should have done Terrific that. player. Yeah. This one is amazing. From John Sedola, Gonzaga class in 1965, Notre Dame class in 1969. Hello, Grandpa. Knowing how we are all concerned about time, dates, length of days, and the occasional deer, I thought you might find this tale interesting. On December 31st, 1899, please remember this date, December 31st, 1899, Captain John Phillips, not that John Phillips, not the icky one, right, no, yeah. not that John Phillips, <laughs> Captain John Phillips was navigating the passenger cargo ship SS Waramu when his crew informed him that they were approaching the equator. Captain Phillips had his navigator double-check their position and then adjusted the course and speed of the Waramu so that exactly at 12 a.m., the ship lay astride the equator at exactly the point where it crossed the international date line. The forward part of the ship was in the southern hemisphere and in the middle of the summer. The rear part of the ship was in the northern hemisphere and the middle of the winter. (laughs) Half of the ship was on 31 December 1899, while the forward half skipped a day ahead into 1 January 1900. The ship was therefore not only in two different days, two different months, two different years, two different seasons, and two different hemispheres, but also in two different centuries (laughs) all at the same time. Now, my life is richer for learning this. Isn't it? Yeah. Now, most of you are thinking, oh, he's a crazy old man. And that, both things can be true. But my life is richer for hearing that, don't you think? Isn't that? Unbelievable. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. One more from Tyler Etchenkamp in Lincoln, Nebraska. Dear Dr. Tony, I started listening to Wednesday's episode of the pod on my way home from work. And when the conversation turned to the price of haagen ice cream, I knew what had to be done. The cost of a 14-ounce tub of Haagen-Dazs coffee ice cream is $3.98 in Lincoln, Nebraska. 
We do not have a Safeway in Lincoln, so the local Walmart had to suffice. That's a good price. Seems like a three ninety eight. Yeah. That's a lot less than it is regularly in Washington D.C. When it's upwards of four fifty and sometimes five seventy nine. Right, Michael? Recently, yep, five seventy nine. So it's a long trip to Lincoln, <laughs> and I don't know how I'd keep it frozen. Well, we need some dry ice for sure. Yeah. Got to get you a Yeti. Yeah, yeah. those Yeti. You see Yetis hundreds everywhere. of dollars. Are they really? Oh yeah, for for like a. For a really? cooler that you would fill for a weekend trip? Oh, sure. Hundreds, hundreds of dollars? Yeah. I just have Like the, that's the Rolls Royce of coolers? Sure, but then it gets the, the, the molding of it so thick you can't even put anything in it. <laughs> well, then what's the point of having it? That's a brag tag. Yeah. Oh, put it on the back of your yeah, truck. It's, yeah, it's brand new. There's the Yeti. There yeah. you go. Okay. No, I didn't know The that. amount of brands that have come out to look almost like a Yeti, that's the true power. Well, yeah, you see them all the time, but they're not yetified, right? They're not yetified. No. They're arcticified. <laughs> is Arctic a brand? Arctic is a brand. R-T. Igloo always yeah. used to be a brand. Oh, Igloo's sure. still a great brand. Yeah. yeah, I think I have one of the the Yeti, you know, drinking yeah, the tumblers. Yeah, those things are extraordinary. You think, oh, that's they like keep it cold. Oh, keep oh. it cold for days. Keep it cold. Yeah, get out. Decades. They did the ratings for these coolers. Yeah. Like, let's say you want to go days? on a let's say yeah, you want to go on amazing. a weekend trip in the middle of the summer in the desert. This will keep your ice frozen for up to five days. Yeah. Like, oh, this sounds like such a great gift for Chan. <laughs> what a bragging moment for Chan. <laughs> keep it cold for five it, days. Yeah. Or get hot, out there depending, on number three on two days later and say to the people you're playing with, hey. It tossed me a cold How one. about this? I got my ice. All right, we'll take a break. Um, Michael Wilbon joins us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Stan Udy sends this in, and he writes, Longtime listener, sometimes email, but first jingle submission. I respectfully submit the work of Saratoga County Deputy Sean Lyons and two of his original songs. Words cannot describe the respect from this public servant, musician, and now member of our family. First meeting was by chance, both of us performing our respective duties. The next was his newly introduced acquaintance to my goddaughter, Devin, and then as a musician performing throughout the Capital District in upstate New York. That's just wonderful that people do this and they sing so well. Sean Lyons. And this is called I Saw the Sunrise in Your Eyes, and it plays in Michael Wilbon. Um, let's go in chronological order, because I thought, and I'm sure you would agree, every game was really good, every game turned out to be really close, almost, and every game was a lot of scoring and turned on very specific plays. Seattle was right there for a half, and it's a divisional game, so you're not afraid. If you're Seattle, you're not afraid of San Francisco. If you're Baltimore, you're not afraid of Cincinnati. If you're Miami, you're not afraid of Buffalo. Mike knows this. You can't stress this enough. You're not afraid of teams in your division. But Seattle was right there with the 49ers for half, didn't you think? No. No? No, I agree with everything else you said. I, no. I just thought the, the fluke play that the, fumble? Uh, the 49ers had, it, it, it sort of created a false 
closeness. I I watched that game on the train on Amtrak um, coming from New York. I had been up there right. uh, Saturday afternoon. We had a we had a, a early afternoon show uh, for Countdown for basketball, and I thought that was going to be a blowout. It wound up. It was it had, Tony. It had tense moments, which which is more than I thought that game. Me too. It had tense moments uh, in the third quarter. And and then, you know, <laughs> San Francisco said, okay, let's stop screwing around. That's right. And that was that. And so, I, you know, that once, they, once they scored the go-ahead touchdown after they were down 17-16, I was like, all right, that's it. I'll, I'll watch it because that's part of the reason I took the train so I could just sort of have some dinner, sit there and watch for three hours plus on my three-hour-plus train ride. But then, then everything else was close, and I, I got I, I arrived uh, at Union Station right at eight o'clock, and took a train out to the Ritz Carlton and Tyson's too to meet Cheryl and and, and two right. close friends. Right. And I watched that game in the restaurant there, the restaurant bar. We watched the second half, and oh my God, I was not expecting. There's no way you're expecting to see that. To see that come back after his twenty-seven. So let, let's go to that. Yeah, let's go to that because I mean, my comparison of Purdy to Joe Montana is crazy, and I'm not even going to bother to do it. Although Purdy's good, uh, Brock Purdy's good. He's better than you think the last pick in the draft this year is mm-hmm. going to be. He's a good player with great stuff around him. But let's get to the Chargers. I said in the open of this show, which you wouldn't have heard. There are two things that Wilbon holds to be true about the National Football League. One is that the Chargers take a nap, and two is that you can't trust Cincinnati down the road. That's an unbelievable result in the Jacksonville game. It, it's actually unbelievable. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable, yeah. Yes, um, and, you know, even although, Tony, because the game was in Jacksonville and because I don't trust the Chargers as a franchise, I certainly – Stayed with it, and I'm sitting there having a great dinner. Right, and I'm just I'm like, all right, you know, this. Let, let me let's see. First of all, at the end of the second quarter, I just kept thinking, if they can score once, if they can score once, they if, can be in it in the second. And if half. they can convince, you know, Trevor, that you don't you don't have to win the game in the second quarter. Four picks. Stop throwing these stupid passes. Four picks in the you first know? half. He was just panicky, and, and, and it's you know he has a coach who didn't panic like he right. did, right? And they could somehow they had enough veteran players to somehow calm him down. But yeah, Tony, it's impossible. It's just it's, not going to happen. But no. when they scored to make it, what was it, twenty-seven-seven? That was at the end of the first half. I thought you know, let's just really because if they can make it fourteen, that's a real game. And of course they did. Um. Those are two very, very good young quarterbacks, Herbert and Lawrence. Yes, they are. They're very good. If I told you you could have your choice and you gave me the other one, I'd be happy. I'd be you're, fine. Yeah, they're, they're both very good. But that speaks honestly. Now, do you fire that coach? Yes, he's out. He's done. He's really? That's... Yes. I was going to fire him anyway. Look, <laughs> the, the rumor has been that Sean Payton wanted that job above, yes. all, above all the others anyway. Yes. We can have it. Yes. Okay. I mean, in that, you know, look, he's... He does crazy things, the coach does, on a week-to-week basis. Yes. And, but you, you have to say, if he wins a first-round playoff game, you can't fire him then. Now you can't. Okay. Because it's not that he just didn't win. He choked it away. He choked it away. And so, you know, there, was, there were stages. You could, start working, you, could, you could start working on clock management 
early in the third quarter? You can. At 27-7, your play calling ought to be different. I will and say this. I just I don't trust them. I haven't trusted them all year. When Indianapolis lost the game they lost, it was because of quarterback failure and a coach who, yeah. God bless him, had never coached. This was different. This was not quarterback failure. You're right. You have to start bleeding that clock. You do. Yeah. On the road, you have yeah. to do that. There's subtle ways in which you can do that that make a difference. And you just They're going to wind up not having enough time left. And, 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 and actually, you started up 27 nothing. You started in the second quarter. I agree. You, I, you're you're I agree. a little bit more careful. But he's such a swashbuckler. Anyway, look, I, if I, I, yes, I'd fire him. Okay. Sean Payton would be installed like tomorrow. Okay. Um, Buffalo, Miami. My first note that I took was it's almost not fair for Buffalo because it's like 14 nothing or 17 nothing. Miami showed great. My, Miami and Baltimore showed great. They don't have first-string quarterbacks. They kept it close. I'm going to go back to this point again and again. Division teams not scared, right? Not scared. Yeah, which is, you know, the problem for the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday. Giants. Saturday is that they play the Giants for the third time. That's right. Um, Yeah, it's a division game. Division games are difficult. I I thought, Tony, I I was a little bit more critical of Buffalo. I thought Buffalo – Josh Allen looked bad. I, I, look, it's hard to criticize Buffalo given what that franchise has been through and that team specifically has That's been right. through. But I just thought that Buffalo kept Miami in the game. And I, I don't – look, I, I've covered – when they do those anniversaries on the Bills in the early 90s, and they talk about Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith and Andre Reid. And I, I, I was at a lot of those games. I was covering the NFL then. I spent a lot of my time in Buffalo. You know, I, I'm sitting there watching the game with Matthew, and he says, Dad, why do you say it's not even cold? It's 29 degrees. I'm like, hey, no. it's not the DMV. <laughs> okay? No. I know what 29 degrees is in Buffalo. That's, that's light jacket weather, maybe not even for some people. I spent a lot of time in Buffalo in the early 90s covering these games. I know what it feels like. I know what it is like. I know when there's apprehension. You know, and I, I, I sort of root for the community of Buffalo more than I root for the Bills. And I just thought during that game, early in that, I was like, eh. You know, the Bills are not impressing me. Um, and now the Bills get Cincinnati, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 And that's, Cincinnati's that's a cold-weather city. For them. That's probably a good thing for them. If they had to go to Kansas City, or even they had to play no, uh, they get Cincinnati. I, I don't know that I would like the Bills... In they that get game. Cincinnati. They, what, I just there's something there's something not great about the Bills, even though they have the talent to be great. The most I don't frust- know that I want to blame the coach, but I, I'm, I'm not, not blaming sure the coach, is, Tony. But it just there's something that, that is lacking for them to meet. There is the frustration I had in that game is Miami couldn't get to the line of scrimmage, like six different times. Yeah. They had penalties called on them because the clock ran that's, out. That was yeah. That's why I'm not. Uh, I'm not full of praise for Miami. And they, they were they were plucky. They were. They were. But that's all I'm giving them. Just so I, I thought that Buffalo lit them back in that game in every way. Okay. Let's go to Giants-Minnesota. Because this was the most popular pick of a road team. That the Giants could do well in Minnesota. And Minnesota scored enough points to win. And there was a period of time, I think an interception was disallowed. And Minnesota kept the ball. And there was this other thing at the 
in the second quarter, Mike, when when the Giants went on like a 90-minute drive and only yeah. got three, and they There's only got three. And I thought, okay, they're going to lose this game. And Minnesota comes back at them in the second half. But how, how, not, not only is... There's a terrible roughing call. Just a terrible roughing call yeah, against the was, Giants. Was, I mean, that's, but you've got fourth and eight, and you're throwing a four-yard pass to well, somebody you, blanketed. You get rid of it to not get sacked, and you hope a guy can make a play and break a tackle. Uh, I, to, to me, it doesn't come down to that. I mean, obviously, in terms of time, it comes down to that. That's all he had. There was nobody open. I mean, I blame his teammates for not getting open. Blame somebody for getting. They won a million games. They won a million close games. They're at home in a close game, and they don't. I'm not saying they gagged, but they didn't win that game. They weren't good enough. Did you think the other team was that good going in? I didn't. The other team's not that good. They're just two mediocre teams, Tony. They're not. I mean, one of the things about the playoffs, the weekend to me, is everybody can rave if they want, and the games. Three of the games were. Tremendous. Yeah. But I'm not looking at those teams thinking any of them are any good except Cincinnati coming out of the weekend. And, I, and Cincinnati nearly took its nap. They, 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 they needed. And then none, nobody covered themselves in glory except. San Francisco did. Well, yeah, San Francisco. Well, and of course, Jacksonville by coming back. Yes. But uh, Buffalo and Cincinnati didn't do anything that impressed me. They just didn't. Cincinnati needed a – how often do you get a 98-yard fumble recovery? The answer uh, yeah. is not often. <laughs> they should have lost that game. Yeah. That's the At home. Again, two reserve quarterbacks on teams that when they are out there don't score at all. Baltimore, without Lamar Jackson, scores 12 points a yeah, game. Not, they were good. They were good, and they, got, and they pushed them. And they, almost, they, they had their in-position – to certainly go ahead by seven in that game and make Cincinnati do something that, you know, historically Cincinnati doesn't do. That's right. They've done it like three times in their history where they get to the Super Bowl and, you know, they've done that and good for them. They're still alive. And, and I, I still, you know, I've, I've been saying, like you, San Francisco, Cincinnati, yeah. one of those teams yeah. upheld, you know, justified that faith on the week, during the weekend and one did not. I, I really do like San Francisco. Yeah. Um, I just look at them. I just I know he's a an impossible rookie, like the last guy picked, and he the first five or six passes he looked jittery, which is to yeah, be expected. Yeah. You know, look at all the people yeah. who were playing in their first playoff game at quarterback, and they yeah. all looked a little jittery. The surprise for me, and I'll go to your point about Buffalo, is that Josh Allen's been a great playoff quarterback. And he had three turnovers on his own that all yeah. led to points. Yeah, he looked like he was nervous. I, I, again, Tony, there's something to me that just is lacking in that Buffalo team. And maybe now, you know, maybe having played that game, you know, in that stadium and right. and, and, and just, you know, survived and advanced, as we talk about right. in, in single elimination sports, with the, usually associated with the term NCAA basketball tournament. Maybe that's, maybe that's what Buffalo needed. And maybe they will actually play and turn in a game. I don't know the schedule. I don't know if that game is Saturday or Sunday, the Kansas City-Buffalo game. Don't know. Well, but, no, it's not Kansas City. It's Cincinnati-Buffalo. Oh, Cincinnati-Buffalo game. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the better Maybe they'll game. turn in a game. But, yeah. I mean, one of those teams has got to emerge. So, I, I you know, it, I, I mean, it's, it's a 50-50 chance. And since Cincinnati wasn't very impressive and probably should have lost that game, Certainly should have been behind. Yep. 
You know, it certainly should have been. And, and, you know, was it Chris Collinsworth who was great saying, you can, you can either try to go over the top and then you spread your offensive players out. But when you line up two people behind them, you're going for the push. And in that case, you're not jumping up in the air. You're That's right. going for the shove, that push now at the goal line that used to be illegal. And so, I, I you know, Cincinnati and, and Buffalo, to me, were just not impressive. They won, but they weren't impressive. It's Sunday at 3 p.m. next week. Cincinnati and Buffalo. Okay. And everybody will watch that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not alone in this. This push stuff, I, I thought this was illegal. No, it was illegal. That's when did they thought. change it? Gradually, over time, they, they, they've decided it's exciting. And it is. They're, they're not going to call it, and so they don't. I don't know. I, it just, they don't. They just don't. They have it for, for, for a few years. It's not even pushing. Sometimes a lineman pulls the guy. Yeah. It's, it's assistance. It wasn't. There was no assistance like that. You right. had to be the pile could move because you were blocking or attempting to block an opponent, and that's how it moved. And now they don't. Now it's it's tug of war. This is as of two thousand six. Two thousand six. Pushing and pulling. Not, pushing know. and pulling legal in two thousand six. Yep. I will say it's fun to watch, but that's, it doesn't. That's why. Yeah. In the in the never ending quest to make something fun for television, which is what every sport. That's right. Except soccer tries to do, that's what we got. Yeah. All righty. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, will take a break. Barry Zverluga will join us. We will talk football and all the same games because every single game was great to watch. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Sean Lyons as a Saratoga County deputy in Saratoga, New York. This was sent to us by Stan Udy, maybe H-U-D-Y. Over the past year, Sean has impressed me as a superb musician, but mostly as a truly caring human being, taking in my goddaughter Devin and our two children into his home. There may be no better public servant I've met in my life than Sean Lyons, and his ability to perform weekly acoustic sets brings joy to his fans, his newfound extended family, and, of course, to Devin. Uh, This is called Daddy's Not Coming Home, which you don't want to associate with a deputy on some level. (laughs) So let me not read too much into that title. Michael, if people like Sean Lyons want their original music showcased here, how do they go about it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornizerShow.com. We appreciate all the music. We absolutely And you can do. listen to it at the end of the podcast, and it's better than us. It is honestly better than <laughs> us. Barry Verluga joins us, and we're going to recap the games as we did just now with Wilbon. Of the five games that were played, uh, four home teams won. A lot of favorites actually didn't cover. I mean, there was like the Giants covered in the Minnesota game. Jacksonville covered in the Jacksonville game. Miami covered. Baltimore covered. So, you know, who covered? San Francisco was the only favorite to actually cover. We have another game tonight. What's the biggest surprise, Barry, to you of all the games you watched? Well, if you told me Friday that the Jags beating the 
Chargers was going to happen, I wouldn't have found that particularly surprising. How about that way? Only at halftime of that game that the Jags would beat the Chargers, I would have been pretty pretty stunned. Um, I I think not that the not that the Giants beat the Vikings because I think the Vikings were were pretty fraudulent um, with their record. Given you know you can argue about oh they won all these close games so that that means they're resilient and they know how to win in the clutch and all that kind of stuff. Or you can say you know, there's some, some luck involved. What I what I found surprising there was that Daniel Jones just looks like he looked like a player worthy of the sixth pick in the draft and that you build your franchise around. Um, and I think to some extent, as Brian Dable's debut season is an unmitigated success, that the question has been for this guy who built uh, Josh Allen into a star did he have the right guy in place? And I think now whatever happens in the next game at Philadelphia, it's hard for for it's hard to envision the Giants going forward without Jones right right now. So I, I think just that's somewhat surprising to me. Um, and and honestly, I thought the Bengals would win, but I I, I thought they'd win by by two touchdowns. Me too. Um, so that that the fact that they struggled, and really the fact that the Bills. And the the Bengals struggled at home against a pair of third-string, seventh-round quarterbacks. Um, Gives me a little bit of pause about their durability going going forward. I mean, the the Bengals, um, you know, they'll they'll play each other. um, But uh, that that I I thought was surprising that that those two teams facing, you know, kind of middling opponents – overall and then very very suspect quarterbacks didn't just kind of win handily and have things in uh in control in the fourth quarter i agree with all of that i want to get to the specifics of it because i too looked at daniel jones as a guy who for a couple of years gave up the ball more than any quarterback in football he just fumbled it or it was intercepted and i wondered what's the deal with daniel jones i hadn't thought about dayball who i believe is coach of the year this year giants were four and 13 last year Giants and Jets stink. Jets continue to stink. (laughs) Giants got better, and he's the reason. But Daniel Jones is bigger and stronger and throws a more accurate ball than I thought. And the only thing that surprised me and actually disturbed me was he ran so much in the first half that I thought, it's not that I'm afraid he's going to get hurt because he's big and strong, but I thought his legs would go and he wouldn't be able to run in the second half if that was needed, and I didn't know if that was bad coaching or that was just Daniel Jones doing that on his own, but he looked awfully good to me. Well, think about how many times you've thought those same same things about Josh Allen, right? Like, yes. big, strong guy who can run, and when he runs, he he often doesn't slide. He, he Right, takes barely, contact. Yep. Yeah, exactly, and... So I thought, Tony, exactly what you were saying is like, you're watching this guy, you know his resume, you know that at various times Giants fans have wanted to run him out of town, yes. why did we take him with the sixth pick, you know, he, this is not the guy going forward. But yesterday it was almost like watching a combine video where you say, oh, I see the arm, oh, I see yeah. the size, oh, I see oh, all the measurables are there, and then it was inserted into a playoff game with, you know, 65,000 people Channing Norse code at him, um, and and he and it he played out beautifully, and I just think that now, as I said earlier, it's just, it, you know maybe he has a disastrous performance in in Philadelphia, but it feels like Giants fans and Giants personnel would think, 
no, 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 no. We know what he can be. We know the coach that we have. We yeah. know what he's done yeah. with a somewhat similar uh, person. And I would, I would say, other than Saquon Barkley, like this guy has no weapons. He has, he has no elite targets to throw to. And I think the conversation becomes, okay, he's got the tools. We've got the coach. We need to get him help. And we're, we could be good for a, a good stretch. Here. Uh, uh, totally agreed. And then I'll go to the opposite side on this. I mean, you wrote columns when Cousins was here. I just watched. I never loved Cousins. I just didn't. I was one of those dopes who thought Colt McCoy was better than Cousins when he was at Washington. I'm happy he got the contract he got. I think he's a top 15 quarterback. I don't think he's a top eight quarterback. I watched this. Wilbon excused it. On fourth and eight, you can't throw four, a four-yard pass to a guy who's being covered. I mean, I just don't think that, that Cousins has everything required to be a great quarterback. And I wonder how you – maybe you felt that you liked him a lot when you watched him up close. Well, no. So he, I would say the exact same thing. You opened by saying, what surprised you? And, and I could not say – I mean, if you had said, what are the most significant things or what jumped out at you – I would have said, well, Kirk Cousins threw a four-yard pass to fourth and eight at the end of the game <laughs> following the script. Like, yeah. that's – Kirk is going to Kirk. And, yeah. and it's, be, it's a, amazing, Tony. Like, if you don't watch his games – like, I, I wrote down his stat line, 31 of 39, no picks, Great. 173 yards, Great. two TDs. You're like, well, that's a very good quarterback. That- and then in that moment, he just doesn't do it. And I, I thought it was – you know, like the Vikings did have all those comeback wins, and, and obviously the big one against the Colts, and he, he obviously he does some good That's things. against a stinking team. Do yes, you throw that sure, out? For right. sure. But he, he just – there's an it there that, like, Josh Allen has it, right? Like, Kirk Cousins does not have it. And he, he, so I agree. I think you get fan bases where, you know, when you think about Washington, they've been in a – quarterback desert for for 30 years he's clearly the best one the most consistent and so you there there can be some regret but but fans here and now fans in minnesota who have lived the experience um there's a hollowness to to kirk cousins's game it's it's not heart and grit and guts and and i'm going to pull this out it's in the moment i'm going to do something that may not be egregious but is going to be a losing play, not a winning play. And, and that's, that's kind of who he is in the end. Agreed. Totally agreed. Let's go back to the shock, most shocking thing. And the most shocking thing is the Chargers losing it from 27 nothing up. <clears throat> I asked Wilb on this. His answer came before I got the question out. Would you fire <laughs> Brandon Staley? Man, that is a tough one. I mean, he said yes, right? Of course. Before I even <laughs> – yes, of course. Yeah. Because I, I because he believes that Sean Payton is the next guy there, yes. Well, that's I mean, if you have that information and yeah. that's a, you know that's a, a trade um, that I think everybody in the NFL would would wait. I mean, that Payton's candidacy looms over the the whole yeah. hiring cycle cycle, and and when you're in position as he is to to choose his job, like. He's not going to choose Denver, in my opinion, because you're saddled with Russell Wilson and his, and his contract there. It, it would be immensely 
appealing for him. He had a generational quarterback with whom he won a Super Bowl in New Orleans. Um, he's got that you have one sitting right there in, in Justin Herbert, despite the the comeback the other night. I mean, I'm not a guns blazing for Brandon Staley person, but if you ask me, would I rather have Sean Payton or Brandon Staley coach my team? I think that's a pretty easy answer. Um, I talked about this with Mike as well, and I mean, the answer is obvious to me. There are two games in which there were second and third string quarterbacks, as you alluded to, starting against really significantly better teams. But they're division games, Barry. They're not afraid. They watch these people twice a year all the time. They prepare for them. So it should not be surprising that both Miami and Baltimore made those terrific games. I, I just I think it's a different mindset when you go against a team once every four years and when you go against a team twice a year. No, and I, I think they, they prove that. I mean, I, I'm not going to do revisionist history and, and – not you know I, I did think the Bengals would win by by fourteen, um, but I, I think you're right. There's something to it, and I think you know to the extent that Seattle hung with um, with the forty. They did. They were ahead at the half. Yeah, for a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, I think San Francisco is proving to be kind yeah. of freight train here, um, but you're, there is something to that third time. It's very very difficult, um, and you know Miami without Tua. They, they have a roster. I mean, that, that is um, a developing team. They obviously, like, butchered clock management a million different ways. Oh, my uh, God. They couldn't, they couldn't snap the ball. And, they, and honestly, Tony, the game was over with two and a half minutes left because they had used all those timeouts yep. to, um, to avoid delay of game penalties. So, um, Awful. But, but the, 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 you know, kind of willingness and, and ability to hang in there has to do something with familiarity and not just in in the Dolphins case familiarity with who the Bills are but playing in that environment you know there's all this talk at this time of year of like oh a, a team that plays outdoors in the south that comes up north well they, they come to Buffalo every year um, it's a very familiar trip the whole thing is um, is not something that they're surprised about so I, I, I agree with you that, that that third divisional game if you're looking at it from like a wagering standpoint Think, think that it's going to be close because it usually is. If I were to um, make the case for why Joe Gibbs is one of the five greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest coach of all time, I would say he won three different Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, none of whom are in the Hall of Fame. None of whom. That's an amazing accomplishment that I think people miss. I'm looking at Kyle Shanahan, who got to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. If he gets to a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, I'm not saying win it, but if you get to Super Bowls with different people where you go, wow, how did that happen? Don't you keep your eye on Kyle Shanahan and say, that guy must know what he's doing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I had I happened to be the beat writer here when he was the coordinator under under Mike and and. Oh, you know, they made only, a great choice for a coach instead of him, Jay Gruden. It was <laughs> inspired. Right. That's a good point. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Um, you could tell he was going to be a star. Now, to this degree, I'm, I'm not sure. But, it, you know, I think a, a kind of a common question right now is, oh, can Brock Purdy actually win a Super Bowl or get to Ooh. a Super Bowl? Oh. And I think that that's backwards because it the it's Kyle Shanahan's steering uh, a Titanic that or ocean liner that is happens to have Brock 
Purdy in a significant role. But Shanahan is the puppeteer here, and that matters the most. And not to mention that, like, you're inserting this guy who's the last player taken in the 2022 draft um, into an offense that has Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and um, George Kittle. And, and Brendan Ayuk. Like, yeah. It's like a toy store, right, for yep. anybody. Yep. And so yep. the kid – the kid deserves credit for being able to the, – the lights are on and the stage is his and he can handle it. That's, that's the biggest part. Um, but Kyle Shanahan, you're absolutely right. I mean, everybody thinks like Jimmy Garoppolo is trash. He did take him to, to a Super Bowl. He was a coordinator of a Super Bowl um, team in Atlanta. Um, he, he's, a, he's a brilliant offensive mind. I think he's proven to be – a very good leader of a team. And I think that just thinking about Purdy as a rookie taken with the last pick is, is not the full picture of who San Francisco is. San Francisco is led by Kyle Shanahan. Agreed. Barry, thank you so much. Talk soon. Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks very much. Barry's Verluga. Read his columns in the post. We will take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm coughing and sneezing. I hope it doesn't bother you. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Oh, here comes Tony's mailbag, mailbag, mailbag. Oh, emails, faxes, and your notes, and your notes, and your notes. Oh, here comes Tony's mailbag, mailbag, mailbag. Go Tony, go Tony. Gonna read it for all of you folks. That's Chris Brinkley putting together me in the background with a very cool sort of mailbag jingle. When yeah. I heard your impersonation like of Chessie... song for the bullets back in the 90s. <laughs> when I heard your impersonation of Chessie howling at sirens, I was inspired to create a song with your howling talent featured in the background. Yes, Tony, that is you howling in the background of the song. You could be on the Mount Rushmore of singing howlers along with Howlin' Wolf, blues singer, Warren mm. Zevon, Werewolves of London, and Wolfman Jack. Yes, he tried to sing. Your hidden talents always surprise me. Could you please yodel for us on the next podcast? That's very good. Thank you so much. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. We've got the bagel sandwiches today. Always excited about that. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say bus stop wet day. She's there. I say please share my umbrella. Bus stops, bus goes. She stays. Love grows under my umbrella. All that summer we enjoyed it. Wind and rain and shine. That umbrella, we employed it. By August, she was mine. I don't usually get into overrated and underrated. The Hollies are really good. The Hollies are really good. If yeah. you have one of those things that you can say to Alexa, play me songs by the Hollies, they'll give you two hours of songs you're going to like. The yeah. Hollies are really good. So would Thank you say the Hollies are underrated? Yes. I would think actually classically and tremendously underrated um, because they were just looked at as some you know, British pop group. They're really good. Uh, and they and their songs are varied. Yes. You know, the, their songs are really varied. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Barry's Verluga. Thanks to our sponsors, Rocket Money and Simply Safe. 
Remember, you can listen us listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review from Ryan Coyle in Charleston, West Virginia. I hope I can shed some light on the situation with Hagen dazs ice cream. The leading cause of all these price increases is energy. Mm. That's it. That's the list. Companies that produce any items, such as your beloved ice cream, are simply passing along their high electric and gas bills to the consumer. In addition, the cost of transport products remains high as the cost of diesel has not gone down as much as gasoline, although it has dropped to a degree. So as long as your home's utility bills are high, mine are astronomical. Yeah. They're astronomical. Yep. I, I, I can't believe how high they are. And you see high diesel prices at your neighborhood sheets. You'll continue to see high prices in the grocery stores. I hope this helps to answer your question. P.S. Is this information correct? Maybe. Am I qualified to provide an answer? Probably not. It's great. It's great, though. It sounds Thumbs up the show. It's a great question. Paul from Lindsay, Ontario. Last weekend when I was grocery shopping, I came across four different play- flavors of Haagen-Dazs. Chocolate, strawberry, coffee, and vanilla bean. Mm. All four were on clearance for 94 cents each. Got to be a problem. I quickly grabbed three of each <laughs> and checked out. And sure enough, I ended up paying eleven twenty-eight for 12 Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> I figured you'd love to hear about the steal of the year. Yes. This, are they discontinued? Is that it? How did clearance on ice cream 90, sounds so terrible? Yeah, it sounds like if I eat this, I'll die. It sounds like it it's might been be contaminated. Liz picked yeah. up some talenti yesterday. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Have I don't know it? what that is. Oh, That's, it's like the Italian gelato sort yeah. of ice cream. Yeah, it's very good. No, I've never it's heard very of it. Good, yes. From Glenn Petrie, not dish. Maybe it's Petri. Yeah, Lord. Long Petri. time, first time. When I heard you reading the letter about Hojo's, I was flooded with memories so thick I had to brush them away from my face. Like you, I was born in Long Island, New Hyde Park. Bob Avellini, born in New Hyde Park. And my family would frequent the Hojo's on Jericho Turnpike behind the driving range. In 1965, when I was 10, we moved to Dallas. We were in culture shock due to tremendous differences in dialect, clothes, food, etc., and yearned for something familiar. My father decided that Hojo's fit the bill and would take the family to the location near SMU every Friday for fried clams. At the end of each meal, my mother would purchase a quart of coffee ice cream to go, God, you're my family. <laughs> Always looking for a good bargain, she noted that there was a special promotion if you mailed in the container lid. Yes, physically put it in an envelope and into the mailbox, the company would send you a coupon for a free quart of ice cream. However, the company did not require a receipt nor put a limit on the number of free coupons one could receive. Loophole. That meant that you could send in the top from the free quart and receive another coupon ad infinitum. My mother took advantage of this offer for nearly a year, and it has been passed down in family lore like the miracle of loaves and fishes. <laughs> Thanks for the years of laughter, but it's the cherished memories that you and the little share that touch me to the core. Isn't that nice? P.S. I have a doctorate, too. However, it is only in biochemistry. Wow, that's not real. From Mark Finer in Greenwich, Connecticut. Are we doing Howard Johnson's emails? In 1980, I turned eight years old. And for my birthday, my parents took three great friends and me to the Hojos in Middletown, New York. I know Middletown, New York very well uh, for lunch. That was it. No great zucchini. Not even a mediocre one, just lunch. I didn't like cake as a kid, so a hot dog and Howard Johnson's famous peppermint stick ice cream were what I craved. I'll never forget the look on my mother's face when one of the guests, Sean Quigley, cleared his throat in order to stake medium well for his lunch. I lost track of Sean several decades ago, but I'm sure he's doing very well these days as an executive at Capital One. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Just brilliant. 
From Charles Warren in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I love when you reminisce about your summer camp years. It takes me back in time to my fond experience at Camp Work the Boys outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. My dad was an elementary principal with summers off. He was also a wannabe cattle farmer. My summer camp included me and my younger brothers, Bill and John, enjoying these activities. 5K barbed wire fence building, Mm. wood cutting and log splitting, dawn and dusk cattle feeding. For lunch, we ate sunbathed bologna sandwiches and drank creek water. On Fridays, we enjoyed recreational swimming at the Snake-Filled River. Mm. We swam in tennis shoes to avoid broken glass because the Marley family shot beer bottles they threw in the river upstream. (laughs) The end of camp culminated in a calf castration ceremony where we all sat on each masculine calf while Dad did the cutting. There's no prouder moment than when your dad hands you the knife and says, you can do this now, you're a man. Every time you talk about summer camps, a tear comes to my eyes, and I think this show stinks. <laughs> From Drew Malloy in Honolulu, Hawaii. So, Mr. Tony, what's the deal with the picture of you on a boat on the PTI set? You standing in front of the lifeboat, smiling happily. It looks like you're about to join Brody and Hooper on Quint's boat, the Orca, to go hunt Jaws. The month before, you had a newspaper article up of a picture of you next to a World War I-era biplane. Pilot. You addressed yes. in full, full pilot regalia. What's next? Are you going to have a picture of you running the Bay Bridge run? This is not the Mr. Tony Littles, no. Okay, so let's explain this and then do one more email. That is a picture of me on a boat, a tall ship called the Christian Raddock, a Norwegian tall ship that in the bicentennial year of 1976, around July 4th, sailed into New York Harbor from where it started in Newport, Rhode Island. I sailed on that ship. I got seasick below deck, so I slept the two nights I was there above deck, summer, no problem. Um, And that's a picture that someone took of me and gave to me on that boat, and I'm thrilled about that. That is now almost 50 years old, Yeah, that picture. <clears throat> and it makes me happy. Nigel, you love that picture. Love that. Well, I remember the, remember the tall trips. Remember when we yeah. sent those over from Europe for you you all. Yeah. Um, and you, you wrote a piece, uh, was that in the New York Times? Uh, that over your right shoulder is on the New York Times oh, yeah. on the wall. There you go. Front page, A1, baby. I recommend. New York Times, July yeah. 5th. 1976. Because all the crewmen were all kids, right? All kids. It was a training ship. Yeah. All kids. All Norwegian kids. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Jay Stockslatter, Lancaster, New York. Dr. Tony, this is the second time I have written as I am still a newbie with many ongoing questions. I drove from Buffalo to the Syracuse Mets game for La Cheeserie Night and still don't know why, but it was so much fun. <laughs> the connective tissue the show brings to many is amazing. And I was immediately transported to myself as a 10-year-old when you talked about gold toe socks. Have I given you the money for those? Yep. Oh, yeah. I gave you 20. To <laughs> it's going right into the bottom to get to the crew socks. <laughs> when I was 10, my mother gave me $10 to go buy white gold toe socks at J.C. Penney's. I hopped on my purple banana seat bike and rode to the store. However, instead of buying gold toe socks at J.C. Penney's, I spied the famous Farrah Fawcett poster we all know too well. Mm. I hatched a scheme where I bought the poster and still had money left over for a very small can of gold-colored paint found in the craft (laughs) section. I rode home, put the poster up immediately, and went to work painting the toes on six pairs of white tube socks. It didn't work out well as I was busted after she asked to see the socks I bought. Gold toe forever. All the best. It's just a wonderful email. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But I still need... A bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave.
called you up to see how your life has been. It's been so long since the time that we used to spend just holding hands. Oh, it would make me feel secure, but then I lost. When your love walked out the door, then I remember the night that I saw her, the sun rising your eyes. And I remember the night that I saw her, the sun rising your eyes.